Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats of all ages, welcome to another scintillating episode of the Development Hell Podcast. This is episode number 96, and we're back from, I don't know, hiatus, from the dead, from, I don't know what you want to call it, but we're back. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm surrounded, well, the, you know, we just started, and the one cat that was still left in here, it was just like, sick of this shit. Left. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for those who don't know, just before we were recording, um, Ed is getting set up and he has a bunch of new uh, feline roommates uh, where he's living. And so yes. they were all kind of staring at him, wondering what the heck he was doing. And I was saying, because they haven't seen you podcast before, Ed. That's all. But, That's true. But yeah, the one cat uh, has left. So, Well, and also, usually I, pod- I was podcasting in the basement, but I don't want to go in the basement because it makes me feel sad. So I am doing it up on the first floor now. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's also, it'll probably be louder up here, but anyway, they can deal with it. So, because I've been over to your house, so you're not in the, like, where are you sitting for this? I'm not, I mean, I'm, we'll, we'll include a sketch in the, the show notes, but I want to. Yeah, I'll put a floor plan yeah. um, for everybody. Uh, I'm like in the little, if you walk in the front door to the left, there's sort of a little, there's kind of a nook. Oh, right. Gotcha. And, yes, uh, I know that is. Yeah. And there's a desk there with computer and a monitor. And, and so I'm just not, I'm just putting everything there. So, yeah. All right. Um, so yeah. Uh, so now I've got, uh, the microphone up here on the big mic stand. So it gets to take up way more room uh, and be another thing that clutters things up. So that's awesome. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, been a little bit since we recorded. It was just, so today is what, the J- January 8th? I January think? 8th in the year of, of our Lord, 2019. Yeah, so we're recording this January 8th, which I'm not sure, I don't know if we're actually supposed to say what exact date we're recording things. Well, sure, like we, a, we can a, tell them. A podcast yeah. faux pas, uh, you know, in, in case it's like, you want to give the mystery that like it's happening right now. I don't think it's, okay, whatever, man. Don't think anybody's. I don't think anyone. I th- based on like once I actually logged back into the Dev Hell Twitter account, it seems people are just like happy that like a new episode came out because you uh, recorded and did something. You uh, edited and released the episode that we did um, uh, last right. summer. So I think people are just happy that we're back doing this. But anyway, so the, yeah. for those who want to know, kind of like what happened here is, you know, Ed's life got super complicated and mine remains its its usual super dope self. So nothing really changed for me. But <laughs> but uh, well, that's why so people ask how my life is. My life is dope. I'm, I'm like. Uh, my life is dope and I do dope. Shows. That's right. Thank you, Dave Chappelle for the awesome, uh, line that I can steal all the time. Uh, so yeah, so Ed's life got kind of, kind of complicated and we're not going to get into it here, but, uh, I had thought this thing was dead. I thought it was done. And then I don't know, just Ed literally just said, Hey, I want to try to get a few more episodes in the can. So for those wondering, the plan is we're going to get to at least a hundred so that we have a nice round, uh, number for our, uh, for our awesome podcast. And then we'll see how it goes. Um, like, hopefully we'd like to do this on a more regular basis. But again, no promises because to quote from my favorite movie of all time, life uh, moves pretty fast. So, uh, but we are planning yeah. to have these episodes to be uh, smaller, an hour or less. I do have a timer uh, on my phone. Of course, you people can't see it, but um, to try to keep us on track. So we get these episodes, they're small and we're still going to do our rambling. We're still going to make fun of each other. And we're still going to make fun of other stuff, but ideas actually get some of these uh, episodes going again. So tonight we have, if I look at our docket, we have uh, four things that we want to talk about. Three of them are um, from Ed. Uh, I will very graciously offer to uh, go first uh, and try to keep yeah, this should. to 10 minutes or under. So for those who remember, um, I play that awesome card game, Magic the Gathering. So once I moved into the, once the Fortress of Grumpitude had been loaded onto a trailer and relocated into the middle of nowhere, I discovered that there was very few people who had the same kind of super expensive cards that I have and wanted to play with those same super expensive cards. So I kind of like sulked for a while. I was like, man, what am I going to do? I still want to play Magic, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to play, I don't want to draft cards all the time. Don't want to play the newer formats because they change too often for my old man brain to comprehend uh, what to do. So instead, I've started playing uh, the format known as Commander or for the or for the super old people, um, EDH. It's super casual way to play your deck of cards, except for the basic lands. You have uh, can only have one of a particular card. So you have 99 cards plus your Commander. And the reason why I like EDH is because uh, it's the social aspect. It's not like cutthroat. It's not competitive. 
Um, I found a small group of people here who play, and I helped start a league. So we meet every Thursday night in the basement of one of the stores in downtown uh, London, Ontario, Canada. And we play uh, games of Commander. You have like three or four people uh, playing um, in one match at a time. And you just keep playing until everybody's uh, eliminated from the game. Uh, And we track how people do, how many opponents they eliminate, uh, how many times uh, did their commander come in and, out, in and out of the game, and a bunch of other achievements, and sort of tracking the points. And I built a website for it, so uh, it was a chance for me to uh, to uh, use yet another framework to build something. I chose Symphony for this one, Symphony Four, because I want to see how Symphony Flex worked, and, and whoop, whoop, it worked pretty good. Um, so the website is uh, up and running. It's forestcityancients.com. Forest dot We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, and the thing I was working on just as I was talking to Ed was. Um, uh, there's this awesome website called Scryfall, and I'll have a link there that lets you like search for almost anything to do with magic. You can put card names in. You can say, "I want to see all the red cards that were uh, uh, released in sets in 2005." You can find out information like that. And they have an API because it's built by a couple of really smart programmers. And I can use that API to get little um, larger than thumbnails, but images of magic cards. So in the reporting system that I built to track everyone's results in the league games. I'm recording what commander people were using. So then I now have wrote some code that randomly um, uh, queries the database of all our results to find out what commander uh, extracts one out. And then I do uh, two quick calls to Scryfall, one to get all this information about the card and then another to get what, and then I go and get the actual image and it's now on the website. So as people are asking me, oh, like what commanders are people playing and stuff? I'm like, you can see on the website because it's random. So uh, the reason I'm segueing into this is talk about using um, programming for hobbies, right? So this is not, to me, not quite the same thing as like doing open source stuff in your spare time because I still do that despite not getting paid to do PHP code anymore. I'm still working on um, open CFB. But the idea of like using my programming skills to uh, supplement a hobby. So... Um, so, Ed, have you ever done anything like that where you have a hobby and you supported your participation in that hobby by, like, writing a computer program or, or a website or something like that? Yeah, it seems like I've done some things like that. I don't know if I've ever done it to the extent that yet you're doing it. Like, I know you did your stuff for the – for was it baseball? Mm-hmm. Was it yeah, that's – oh, God, that's been around forever, that website. Yep. Right. And then um, – so you got this going on, too. Uh, and I don't think I ever did – I, did I ever do that? I don't really think so. Um, I, so yeah, I don't, well, you know, no, I usually had a, had some kind of project to, or some reason to do something that I was actually getting paid for, um, for something. Um, I've built, I, I mean, I've built some websites for people where maybe I didn't get paid for it. I can't really remember now. Um, probably more for music stuff. Uh, but yeah, I can't even really remember now. It's always been like, yeah, the stuff I've done hasn't been so much sort of hobby focused, but, uh, I, you know, yeah, I guess not. So that was, that was a good answer. I feel like this was a good conversation we just had. Um, that worked out pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Sometimes I think about that stuff and it's like, I never sort of get around to it, but I've definitely, I like, I've dabbled some with things like, well, what do I like to do? You know, like watch movies and things like that. And I've I've definitely messed around with like some of the open like open movie database and things like that. At least played around with it. But I think I never got to the point where I was like, oh, I'm actually going to release this thing for it. Um, but uh, I don't know. Just maybe I just haven't had a good match for it yet. You know what I mean? Like, hey, if we this is a problem we need to solve, this is how we solve it. So that maybe I don't know. Maybe not looking hard enough. So uh, basically, you're cooler than I. Am. <laughs> well, I mean, what are you say? well, I, I knew know. that before doing. Yeah, this, I mean, but, I think we can all. Well, I, I guess it's just a case of like, um, it's like uh, I'm I'm doing some activity, and there is some component to the activity where things need to be tracked. Um, right. Like that's why I built the baseball website to track all the standings and the schedule, so everyone could benefit that. And the same thing with the with this um, running this league now. I had right. to I had to compile the results anyway. I, I was going to store them somewhere, so I was like, well, I don't want to do it just in a spreadsheet because then I have to be able to share that spreadsheet with other people. So in the end, it was like the best thing to do was right. I'll just build a website. This is 
right in my wheelhouse. I, I know how to build very simple CRUD websites like this. And so I built that, built an admin panel in the back that looks like a typical engineer's interface. So of course it's all janky and everything, but um, mm-hmm. but at least, uh, you know, I got to work and now I can share it with, with other people. And the main thing is just so that uh, the people who are participating um, in, in the league can like go to one place and look for information about are we playing and what are the current standings and, and any other changes? Because, of course, I'm going to add things um, to the website as time goes on. I need to add a link to where I can explain what all the different point, how you get points and things like that. But um, it's just a case of, like, I picked a hobby. The hobby involves counting something. So now I need to make sure I have some way to count the stuff, track it. That's yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe if I was into D&D or some other fruity game like you're into, um, maybe I would have come up with something like that. Like I would have written some program to roll dice for my characters. It's a dark elf warlord that's going to Yeah, I think you're project- I think you're projecting there. That's not what you would be. Uh, you, you, I, this you'd be is like where a little, you want to be. Yeah, but, but you, would, you would be a halfling is what you would be, I think. A halfling? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm a fooling. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Cat, cat master. Cat ma- yeah, well, that's yeah. that. See, that's a skill that would translate into the real world. So. That would absolutely. That'd be very cool. All right, so I think our time is up with this topic. Let's move on to the next one. Boom. So oh, I, I like see this. It's bam, bam. I like spam. That. Yeah. Well, sure, because I got the timer now. Hey, man, you want to be out of here in an hour so we can keep producing yeah. high quality content? <laughs> Gonna crack yeah. that whip. Next up is the reason this topic is on here because um, having a humongous ego, I was very upset that somehow the uh, the Dev Hell uh, mailing list on Mailchimp, which we use solely to announce when new episodes come out, right. instead of doing the correct thing, which we should have done, Ed was sell everyone's email addresses to, to spammers. But turns that out, been the good but thing. that would have been we, who would have needed a Patreon. Smart. We could have just said, "Here's emails that we know actually work." Uh, Instead, I noticed, like, why are there, like, 6,500 people subscribed to the Development Hell uh, mailing list? So why don't you uh, tell, yeah. tell people uh, you, you dug into this and figured out what was going on. So what happened today was, so it was probably, what was it, like, last week that we actually pushed up episode 95, which had, had been recorded in June of 2018. So that tells you it took, it, took, it took a hot minute for it to actually get posted. So what's supposed to happen is... Uh, the RSS feed for the podcast gets fed into MailChimp, and then you can you can drive a mailings in MailChimp completely based off of RSS entries, so RSS feed entries. So it'll send out a new post to a mailing list based solely on that. You know, on if there's a new entry in that uh, in that RSS feed, so. That's exciting, right? Um, and I was like, I wonder if that went out because I don't think I saw that. And that was weird. So I, I went and lo- looked on the thing and it was like, MailChimp was like, hey, buddy. Uh, actually, you know what? It wasn't very loud about it. I had to go look at the campaign. And eventually it was like, I had to go. I started like editing the campaign and then uh, stepping through some stuff. And it was like, Hey, actually, we can't send this because you have more than 2,000 subscribers because we were using the free plan because we didn't want to pay any money. And I was like, oh, well, that stinks. And it was weird because we never really... And when we were recording, I don't think we had more than a few hundred people signed up on the mailing list. So, okay. Uh, But I knew it had gotten really high because I would see these subscriber notifications come in like once a day and it had had gotten up to like 6,500. So I actually go and look at the list and... I paged through a couple of them. I'm like, these are sort of like the first couple pages of of most recent signups were like, "Eh, these might be legitimate email addresses. It seems kind of weird. Some could be, they're kind of anonymous sounding, but okay. And then I get to like the third page and it starts a list, like a whole list of dot RU mailing addresses uh, with, and I apologize to any of our listeners in uh, .ru uh, who are, are listening to this, and I don't. I hope that you don't take offense to this, but we get a lot of spam over here from .ru addresses, and like every one of them, I kept seeing pages and pages, and they all had the same Russian text in them, right? And I'm like, well, okay, that sucks. So we did not actually have some sudden 
huge burst of interest in the podcast, even though we hadn't put out an episode in quite a long time. Uh, it had it, it, that is not what happened. Apparently, what happened is something figured out a some bot or something figured out a way around Mailchimp's anti uh, what you call it. Um, they use some sort of like hidden fields in there that only, I think only get set up by JavaScript. And it must have been that somebody was like, well, I'll write a bot that just handles that correctly. And apparently they did. And it just spammed into our uh, into that form. So it signed up. I think I counted uh, from things that had that text in it 6,200 times. Um, so, okay, well, that's, yeah, that happens, right? It's not the end of the world. So this is form spam. That's pretty normal stuff you have to deal with. Well... A weird thing is that the MailChimp user interface, so not their API, but their, you know, how most human beings would use the, uh, would use the service. You can delete multiple contacts, they call them contacts, uh, from a mailing list, uh, but you can do a maximum of 100 because you can only... Uh, you can only de- you can only list up to a hundred per page, and you can only delete what's visible. Now I don't know if, how much of a conscious decision that was. It feels kind of like a conscious decision because it's kind of hard to get around to letting it actually delete stuff, uh, multiple things. So I don't know exactly why you can't just say just delete everything, please, for the love of God. Somebody spammed me six thousand times. I, these are all fake. Please let me remove these. Uh, it does not let you do that. Uh, and I think I have to, I think what I'll probably have to do because I'm a programmer and I don't want to just, I, I maybe you're the same way, Chris. I, I kind of assume that like when you're a programmer and you see a repetitive task, it is so painful to do it. Like typing, I don't know, typing the same thing over and over in like the in in like a spreadsheet absolutely yep it's so and even if it would actually take less time to just do the tasks like okay i just have to do this 60 times it is so like mentally uh painful to to force yourself to do that when you know you could write something that would do it for you uh, even though, even if that would take longer to write it, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm sure. And I'm going to write a script that uses their API to query this, uh, query the list and, and, and delete the ones that are spam. So I still have to do that. Uh, presumably I will do that before the, this episode comes out and then, uh, then, you know, maybe the mailing will work. We'll see. So. Uh, yeah, if we delete all of those, we have about 300 people sign up for the mailing list. So not quite as many as we had thought from 6,500 to 300, <laughs> but, uh, that was a little, uh, that was a little lesson there. And it only, it just happened this year. I mean, we've been running the thing for four years. That form has been up the whole time, but perhaps, Somebody wrote something more sophisticated, and realistically, it's it wouldn't be that hard. You just have to write something that like scripted. I don't know. I mean, it had to be. It had to probably have a JavaScript interpreter. But if you can script something that's a that acts as a as a bot, that's a browser that just goes around and finds those forms, and then it says, "Oh, I found a form. Well, I'm going to throw this, you know." browser engine at it and there's things you know there's headless firefox and there's headless chrome and other things like that you can use all those tools so there's no reason you couldn't do that um uh, there's no technical reason it's just the resources involved would be are are bigger than than writing a little script that you know doesn't do that and just finds the form and then tries to do like a post on it you know yeah it just seems kind of sad because someone went through all the trouble to write what appears to be pretty sophisticated to, uh, you know, coordinated spamming effort. And then, you know, it doesn't matter because they never get to uh, the messages don't go out unless uh, either myself or Ed hit a button, and say, send the message. So that, that part was actually kind of funny. It's like, well, all these people are you kept thinking you're throwing all these uh, emails at the mailing list. But yet, no, it, nothing was going through. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it was trying to be that smart. It might just have thought it was, you know, treated it like a comment form that could or, be. Like a, or like a sign up. You know, there's a lot of um, a really common thing you get with like people who want business presences is that they have con they want contact forms and maybe they were just treating it like a contact form because it kind of reads like that. Like it says a bunch of stuff in Cyrillic, and then it's like development hell, and then some other Russian stuff. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know, what the, I don't know what it says, but it probably is like, sign your business up now for free loan from Boris or something. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, so that happened, and that was kind of I discovered that today, and that sort of bummed me out a little bit. That I was like, and I, I was, I was even trying to like go in and change the uh like change the dom so that i could select a thousand instead of 100 <laughs> it, that did not work it did not do that so yeah, yeah i would imagine that what mailchimp wants to do is sell access to an api uh to allow you to yeah. allow you to do um uh larger atomic actions on the mailing list but whatever yeah that's possible and yeah and you know it's just this is a weird case and it's probably like 0.1% of users ever want to do this and we're just in the case where we we want to do it yep. and you know it just sucks so what are you going to do oh well I mean I guess that's what the API is for and I know how to use that so I can it's just like I don't really want to spend my time writing that script but I can you know let's just page through the API and page through the or page through the results of the API delete each one and then you know let it go so, yeah, and then hopefully that'll give us access so we can send stuff back to the mailing list because I don't want to pay them any money. It's not like we're making any money off this stuff. This is, this is very, very true. All right, crack the whip. Next, top, next topic. All right. Uh, you have listed here. Uh, next topic. Why is Python the most awesome language ever? No, the uh, topic is Python and popularity, and we debated on how to pronounce this. Tyobe, T-O-B, uh, I have no Tyobe, I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. Yeah, I don't know how you pronounce so, it. So, somebody so write in. every every once in a while, someone when trying to uh, show their tribal allegiances says, "Hey, the language that I prefer, that I think is the best thing ever, um, ranks number X on the right. Tyobe, Tob. I don't know what the hell is on. on this. This it's like." done through like a developer survey, I believe, asking people like what programming language that they use or they're scraping GitHub or they're scraping Stack they Overflow. They're doing stuff. I, it's been around a while and they like, they say they use like six different search engines like Baidu and Google and Yahoo and all sorts of stuff. So I, I they don't really, maybe there's more stuff about their methodology, but it's not, it, they, they seem like they use a lot of different sources and some kind of secret recipe to figure this out. So, uh, so but it's not, just, they, sorry. They, they, <coughs> sorry, oh, the one other thing I want to say, it specifically says it's not how many lines of code have been written in this language. It's not that I think it's based more on things like job listings and articles about stuff and things like that. So, yeah. So anyway, I'll shut up now. But yeah, because if you just go on like, oh, go on GitHub, well, then like something like JavaScript is always going to be the most popular language. And apparently nobody in the world uses like, you know, C. But that's just a lie. Of course it is. So right. so you specifically wanted to talk about Python because it's kind of ironic that both you and I built our chops on doing uh, PHP. And uh, yeah. as I settle into year number, uh, start, uh, into, I mean, I recently passed three years working um, at Mozilla, so uh, and it's been nothing but Python since since I've been right. there because that's what they're using. And you're doing some Python stuff as well, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I haven't written any PHP in like a year and a half at at, at least, maybe more, maybe two years. And it's not like I'm like, oh, well, PHP sucks. Blah, 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 blah. Um, it's more like that's kind of how the cookie crumbled. Um, and. Uh, and so where where I work, we do historically, it's just well, what are the what are the projects that are around? And they've been the languages that have been used have been um, a lot of C sharp um, and a lot of and some Python, but some Python for some big projects. And I think we're doing more Python stuff and and then a lot of JavaScript, of course, because you use JavaScript for anything web based. So uh, so a lot of JavaScript. 
Um, and those are those are the three things that get we use a lot. It, I mean, th- we have some projects that are written and other things too, but that's that's definitely the, the those are the big three. Um, and but today I was looking at like news stuff and I saw a thing where it was like that the TOB, however they pronounce this, uh, I they that they uh, announced that Python was the programming language of the year for 2018. Um, which is, I don't know, I guess I, it's kind of interesting because, um, and I guess take it with all the grains of salt you want to for whatever, you know, this, whatever recipe they use for trying to figure this out, but they, they've been around a long time. I don't know. It's like Nielsen ratings. Probably it could be full of it. I don't know. Um, but a lot of people have gone based on this, this index for a long time and, um, for a very, very long time. Like you had Java and um, C and C++ at the top three, and then everything else was below that, right? And that went, it was that way for a very long time. Like I, it seems like since I remember paying any attention to it, it was about that. And then everybody else sort of fought for spaces four through, you know, 20 or something like that, right? And so, you know, like with when it was, much more active in the PHP community. Uh, it was like a point of pride that PHP was up there in the top 10 and it would go up to like, Oh, look, it's number six. That's pretty good. Right. And then, you know, when Ruby got up there and it was like, no. and, 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 uh, you know, we all were angry about that, of course. Um, but, uh, and seeing how JavaScript has, has, has grown and you see it growing on the index and things like that. All those things are pretty interesting. Well, um, so it's really these like compiled and byte compiled languages were definitely like top tier though, and they were just way above everything else. And so, but apparently, this is the first year that um, I, I and this is a little bit of me throwing in here that in like an interpreted language like Python or Perl or PHP or Ruby or things like that now has actually broken and is now the number three has broken that top three and python is now number three on the index and apparently it was a significant amount of growth just in the last year and i think that's pretty impressive considering it you know python is just as old as php um i think it's a little younger than Perl, but not by much i think what did python come out in like 95 or 96 it's not it's a pretty pretty old language uh, for for these interpretive scripting languages that people are still using. It's not old compared to say C, uh, but um, I think it's really interesting to see that Python is still experiencing a lot of growth, and and I think that it's experiencing a lot of growth in in areas that um, have been. Uh, Java and 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 C and C plus plus places sort of in the past. Uh, I don't think it's going to replace it. It's not like you're going to write game engines and Python or you're going to you know things like that. And Python's not a a a, a, a statically typed. Um, you know, it's it, it's it it doesn't have the same uh, sort of like typing system that in enforced typing system that would be help that's helpful to really really reduce the number of errors that you have. So, I think you have to be kind of careful with it. Like, I'm not sure I'd write a financial system in Python. You know, like where if I made a tiny little mistake, it would you know, sell $5 billion of stock instead of selling $5 or something like that. I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't want to write that in Python. But although there is like a new, there's a, there's a type hinting system in Python now, but it's not, uh, it doesn't actually get enforced. So it's really just hints for like the IDEs and stuff like that. It's not, uh, it doesn't stop it. It's actually, it's less uh, restrictive than say PHP's type hinting. Um, I mean, it seems inevitable yeah. if they add that in as a feature that at some point there will they will allow the ability for it to be um, enforced strictly. Like in PHP, you yeah. can you can go with uh, type hinting both parameters and return values, and you can just tell PHP to ignore it, or you can throw that little declare strict stuff up at the top, uh, which is what we do on OpenCFP to enforce that sort of stuff. Right, um, that's true. But uh, uh, it's optional for now. It, it's it's interesting. That 
Of course, the pendulum for programming, even though it moves really slowly, does swing uh, over its entire arc without us actually paying attention. And it's it's interesting to look at. We we start off probably when you and I first got into getting paid to write programs, <clears throat> uh, statically type stuff, mainly C and C++ and Java, um, were, the, were mainstream. And that's what most people are using. And then a lot of people chafed um, uh, and struggled in that environment because like, well, I want more freedom. I want to be able to... Uh, build things faster, more rapid prototyping. And then that's where the dynamically typed languages like Perl and Python and Ruby right. and PHP came in. And then as those languages uh, and the developers involved in them, as they get uh, mature and more experienced, then they discover, oh, you know what? There's a bunch of like common mistakes that people make all the time that they run into that are slowing us down. So they're like, let's start adding, let's add types to a, a dynamically typed language. Um, you know, from a testing perspective, which of course, as we all know, is what I'm always thinking about, um, having a statically typed language, uh, even if it's an interpreted one, is great because it's eliminating uh, a whole bunch of things that I no longer need to test for. If we're trying to be like really um, thorough in terms of like a test suite, you would need to test things like what happens if I pass in an array when this parameter is supposed to be a string? Is my code going to gracefully fail? And of course, now with type pins to be like, no, it's going to like throw an error. Um, so right. it's 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 a case that I guess you're going to you 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 trade off writing tests to make sure that you're passing in the parameters that you expect. Instead, now you're focusing more on program flow. And making sure does the program gracefully uh, handle these weird exceptions correctly. So I haven't right. personally, I haven't invested a ton of time in making sure um, the code that I write, where typing is being enforced, is correctly handling the crashes. I, I look at it in terms of I try to get much better control over uh, what I'm doing to try to prevent that stuff from happening first place but it is nice to mm -hmm. know it is nice to know that i no longer need to uh write code that looks at something and says oh if this is an array do this one thing oh if it's just a string okay we have to return some sort of error message so that part is nice and and consequently now as the pendulum begins its slow arc back towards static typing being a, a dominant paradigm for lack of a more buzzwordy phrase um, we see more and more now there are languages that are that are starting to become uh, in more widespread use that are static type. Um, Go is the first one that comes to mind along with right. along with Rust as well, right? So yep. so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I think for for me the what will happen to start sending the pendulum back towards dynamically typed languages being the preferred choice is once the static and the dynamic once um once developer workflows get established and again to use that word mature people will inevitably start complaining that they feel like it's taking them too long to prototype something in a statically typed language so they will search for alternatives that they feel rightly or wrongly allow them to build something faster and that's when dynamic languages will come back i think i think it is actually a very good spot to be in if you have a dynamically typed language where you can flip a switch and it becomes a statically typed language. I think uh, yeah. that I think that really gives you the best of both worlds. Yeah, so I I I, I like and, and use the the type hinting in Python. Um, I, I feel it's helpful. Uh, I don't think it adds to it adds a you know it even though it's not enforced in any way right now uh the ide will will yell at you about stuff so i use pycharm and it, it it definitely it picks those things up and i find it useful from that standpoint and just uh keeping an eye on what i'm doing and making sure that it's that it's sensible um but uh i i would like it if it said hey you know no you're not supposed to pass this thing in here you know, there's sort of some philosophical things with Python that maybe it holds that a little more dear in terms of like duck typing and stuff like that, which I've, I've never sort of been a huge fan of. I'd rather be like, no, there's one type of thing and that's the type. And I want to check against that as opposed to the 
sort of like, well, see if you can iterate it or whatever. Like, and it, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a huge duct typing guy, but uh, you know, a lot of people are in in Python, and that I don't know philosophically that means it'll take longer to actually get in like the interpreter to actually enforce those type ins. I don't know. Well, I think I, really, I think what'll sure. I think what'll happen that is. One of the major Python projects will um, do a deep dive and incorporate uh, type hinting in it, and then right. and then everyone will be forced to go along with it. This is how these things always work. Usually, some mm-hmm. dominant application um, or coding standard says we're going to do this this way, and then um, it filters its way through. I could easily see something like if the people who maintain Django decided right. uh, we're going to start enforcing type hinting, then that would mean that anything that needs to interface with um, with Django needs to um, have type hinting turned on, or else Django, or else Python will complain. Uh, you know, uh, it's expecting Django to be run with type hinting um, turned on, um, and then uh, it'll complain about stuff that isn't. So I, I would, yeah. if I were, if I were to guess how that would work for Python, I would imagine a big project. Django is by far the biggest Python project that I can think of off the top of my head. That is in widespread use. Uh, that would be enforcing that sort of stuff. It'd be interesting to see if uh, I would look at the stuff that I've been writing in Python, which mm-hmm. are tests that are using PyTest. I don't know. I don't know if I would gain much through type hinting. I don't. I'm not writing anything yeah. super complicated. It's all being run on the command line, so it's interesting. I do know I have been thinking about. I have a test for one of the projects that I support. That right now, I have to run a bunch of stuff um, manually as part of the test. I've been thinking about mm-hmm. writing um, a little web app that just has some buttons on the page that you click. It's it's to look at push notifications. So um, to make oh, okay. to make sure that certain types of push notifications work correctly. Mm-hmm. So I've been contemplating creating a web app that does all the work I've been doing manually and just click on a button to trigger those particular types of notifications. So someone who I used to work with who's since transferred to another team did something similar mm-hmm. with some other things that we have to test and they wrote it as a node application and that's inside a Docker container. So all I have to do is right. to, when I want to run that particular test, I just download the Docker image and then and run it. So I've been thinking about doing the same thing um, for this other type of push notifications that I have to check. And I was thinking of doing that as a Django app because I haven't touched Django in forever. And it would, it would at least allow me to like uh, keep going with the Python stuff I've learned over the last couple of years. Because to write it in Node would be like a completely foreign thing. My JavaScript skills are pretty much non-existent. So um, right. um, if I want to get the thing done, I need to write it in something that I'm familiar with. Um, I don't see the point in doing it in uh, in Node or in, in, in JavaScript. But also, to, to be perfectly blunt about it too, the, the code that I use, the tools that I use to test the stuff already are written in Python. So I'm pretty sure if I spend a couple of days looking at um, th- those libraries, I'll figure out how to, how to get them to work with uh, other Python stuff. So I, I'll literally just have run this Docker container, mm-hmm. go to, uh, run it, go to this URL on this port, load the page, click these three buttons, make sure everything works. Boom, that particular functionality works as expected. So... Um, yes. So I think that's what I'm going to do. All right. So I think we can go on to the next topic. I already beaten that one to death. The last one is one that yeah. you talked about. I think I saw you talking about it on, on Twitter a little bit, but you have here a bootstrap and view. Now, I will preface this by saying I don't do any JavaScript front end stuff. Um, right. And as someone that doesn't do any of this work, who has seen the rise of like this ridiculous ecosystem around mm-hmm. doing anything related front end, whether it's JavaScript or CSS. Right. It looks like there are so many choices, and uh, I just look at it and think, how did how do we end up we being the as programmers, not me personally, because fuck, I don't care. I'll just copy other people's shit. But right. but how do we end up with with a situation like this? And like you're talking about, uh, you, 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 if the dominant model doesn't fit how your brain works, I, f- I feel like you're kind of fucked. Kinda, yeah. It's there's a. I, you know, there's, there's a, also there's the differences between like, there's choices and there's churn. And that's the other thing that I think is really a problem is it's one thing if there's just a lot of choices. And I think, you know, as PHP developers, if you've been around long enough, you can remember, well, everybody wrote their own CMS, you know, for one thing, it's like, that was a rite of passage. Everybody had to do it. There were a thousand different friggin' CMSs. And there still are a lot of them, although it's kind of like getting down to a few major ones, and then there's a lot of little ones. 
Um, and then uh, the other things that you'd have would be, uh, oh, well, everybody did their fra own framework, right? So you, there was a big, long thing where, especially pre-composer, uh, there was a lot of people writing their own frameworks and doing different, you know, everybody did their own framework and everybody released their own framework. And it's like, well, which one are you supposed to choose? I don't know. There's like 25 freaking choices. Well, the one thing I'll say is, it, yeah, you got some of that and it had, and, and that was, I think, a problematic period during, for PHP. With JavaScript, I think it's kind of worse. And I think it's for, for a couple of reasons. One, if you, it's, you, there aren't really, there are just no other choices for, for web front end. It's JavaScript or nothing else. So you can't be like, well, I'm not really, don't feel this community well. I'm going to, you know, go to a different, this different paradigm. No, you don't. It's, it's JavaScript. And, you know, there's a lot of things with like, well, there's other languages that compile to JavaScript and stuff like that. But I, the other thing, I think that just adds a, a whole lot of complexity that I'm not a, really a big fan of. And I think that's why none of them have really ever taken off. You get, there's sort of, you know, flavor of the, flavor of the week. Like, you know, we all remember CoffeeScript and remember other languages like that. And finally, that stuff, I think, mostly has died off. Um, but... Uh, you know, even though people, uh, you know, act like they're kind of big deals sometimes, I just just aren't really that many people really writing in that. Um, and I remember for a long time it was like, boy, it seemed like everybody was releasing stuff in like CoffeeScript, and now no, nobody does. Nobody would put that out. It's just there was no, you know, it wasn't a compelling reason to use it. Um, well, it hasn't, I mean, isn't TypeScript basically what CoffeeScript was now? I mean, no, isn't TypeScript, it's, no, actually, it compiles TypeScript down to it, JavaScript, isn't that well, what it's doing? It, yeah, the, in that sense, in the sense that it's a transpiled language, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, in the sense, though, that, 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 like at the language that gets transpiled, though, was fairly different. Like CoffeeScript looked pretty different syntactically and stuff like that. Um, whereas... TypeScript is really JavaScript plus types typing. That's it. Um, it doesn't like fundamentally change the syntax. Really, it just it adds some uh, it, it adds typing to it. So static typing, if you want to use it. So that's basically it. As far as I know, somebody can write in and correct us or whatever. Uh, that's perfectly fine. Um, but the process is basically the same. The interesting thing that you've got now is you've got these things where you're transpiling versions of JavaScript down to a version of JavaScript that can run in more browsers. That's really the whole deal, right? So you want to write and take advantage of language features that are only present in, say, JavaScript 2016 or whatever ECMAScript version you want to use uh, but you have to have it work on ie 11 well you have to then there's just some stuff that doesn't work uh so they have to they have these things that compile or transpile really uh from one to the other and i'm not a huge fan of it in general and the reason why i'm not is because i think that the there's a there was a whole lot of work to do what was possible and it feels like there wasn't and there still isn't a lot of work done to make things easier and to involve less choices and thirdly to get back to what i was kind of talking about is that to to reduce um the churn and when i talk about the churn that is how often things change where the you know for a while and maybe things are getting a little better i'm not sure not sure yet but for a while it seemed like you know you couldn't go you know a month without a major framework making a backwards compatibility breaking change i mean if, i don't know angular js did that all the time like they just didn't pay attention to semantic versioning at all and kept pushing these you know they were in version one point x and they would do a minor release and they would break backwards compatibility with it and to me that shows it's that you're not you're not developing this for 
what I would call kind of serious use in this sense um, that I've written a lot of programs and you just can never overestimate how long something actually sticks around and gets used. Now, I've certainly written stuff and it got thrown out like in a week. You know, that's that <laughs> happens, too. But I've also seen things where there's, you know, applications still running 10, 15, 20 years later or longer. Right. And uh, the so what it means is that a, you have to be really, really careful about what you base your um, sort of choose to base your application on in terms of you know, third party things, you did not write yourself what you choose to, to, to pull in. And, and so I think that's, that's really problematic. And I think that it is a problem with, uh, with JavaScript sort of just in general, in terms of that community. And I, and, and, you know, I just, I, I feel like maybe it's just me seeing what is, um, and having having the the benefit of, of hindsight with you know how things have gone in, in say the PHP community, and just seeing you know what ends up in terms of actually building things and, and how they get used and how often they get updated, um, I, it's just it's 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 a problem with with the JavaScript community. Um, it's that it's not just the number of choices, but it's the churn, um, and the fact that something could could get you know, could go away and, and be, you know, not useful anymore in, in say less than a year. That's just, that's not a long cycle, you know, to, to go, to go away. And, and so I think that's, I think it's problematic. I think the, I think the other thing that a lot of stuff, you know, again, to get back to, I think the other problem that you have with sort of front end and development nowadays is, is again that complexity and that the 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 complexity of the tool chains and how easy they are to use i think is a major issue um i think again there's been a lot of focus on what can you do and not necessarily a lot of focus on making what you can do easier and making it less burdensome in terms of what you learn and things like that you know we all have a very limited amount of time to spend uh, learning these kinds of tools and technologies and things like that. And the amount of time we have seems to get less less every year. It sure feels that way anyway. And so, you know, as a consequence, it, I just, like, I never was it, never have gotten to wrap my head around, like, uh, like a project like Webpack, it seemed like uh, fundamentally, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, fundamentally, it's kind of a simple thing. And it's just it ties things together with like sort of things to load stuff in and push stuff out and whatever. But understanding the how complex those tool chains can get and how to configure those and why they're working the way they are and all that stuff, I think is just kind of a nightmare. And uh, I, I've seen little bits that I think get easier. Uh, I think the, the, the view framework has a CLI project that actually it says CLI, but it actually has a, a, a browser based GUI for like adding, uh, dependencies and picking options for, pro for your project and things like that. And it really does make the make the whole thing easier with this view CLI three. And I was, I'm pretty impressed with it. They did a pretty good job. And, uh, that was kind of an encouraging sign for me. Um, but at work, we've been going through some of this process with trying to pick a good front end component library. And we ended up going with the bootstrap view uh, project because for a few different reasons, but you know, we, evaluated to, to want to some extent 25 or 30 different projects. And there was just different stuff all over the place. And it kind of, um, some things had lots of good documentation. Some didn't, some are just, you know, collections of stuff and it was hard to figure out how you're going to use it. Just lots of different things there. Um, and we ended up taking bootstrap view for a number of different options or for a number of different reasons, excuse me. Um, the documentation is pretty good. Um, 
uh, it seems like a lot of people are using it. We already had some experience using it on some projects. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. I think all of those made it helpful. Uh, but it's just, it was just, wow, what a, what a process that's been. And, and we're even sort of running into this issue with, uh, you know, relying on third-party projects where uh, Bootstrap View hasn't put out a release in like six or seven months. And they've been getting, and there's been commits going in, but they haven't actually done a release. So it, they've like version, they've kind of been version frozen at this particular release, even though we were like, is anybody working on this? And you go and look at the GitHub and actually, yeah, there's a lot of commits going on, but I don't know what exactly is happening that's keeping a release up. So today for, at least for an internal project, I, uh, went in and and you know cloned their repo and uh, put it in uh, in in our private repository on Bitbucket so that we could um, so we could use it internally and do builds internally with it at least where at the state their development branches right now so that we can get access to some of those features but you know it's not like there was any announcement or anything it just they stopped just stopped doing releases for five or six months and it's like. I hope that they, you know, they do again. I'm not sure what the issue is, but it's, it's just, it, you know, you know, it's, and it's not a matter of, Oh, well, you know, you just, uh, Hey, you know, you pick something else. It's hard to pick, to just go and pick something else. You know, you have to learn it. There's time investment and all of that time and things like that. That's time that, uh, is worth some amount of money. We're, I mean, we're a software development company. We're trying to make money building things for people. And so we have to think carefully about like what kind of tools we choose to build with and what, what we build on top of. And those, and that's a, you know, it can be an argument against people, you know, talk about this non-vented here syndrome and stuff like that. And I, I am not, a fan of of like building everything internally and stuff like that but the first time you get bit in the ass because there was some project that you were you know there was some project that you relied on heavily that just decided to go away one day for one reason or another it just stopped you know things stopped happening um and documentation didn't get up to date anymore and and you know there weren't any more fixes for things even like that kind of thing and no long-term support plan or anything like that Man, the first time you do that, you're like, I wish I, boy, I regret ever doing that. <laughs> I regret that choice. And so it's really hard, man. It's hard. And I don't know. I mean, I think Bootstrap View is still, it still seems active in terms of commits. I just don't know, really know what's happening in terms of the release schedule. Um, so I still think it's a good project. I think it works well. It's a, sort of a, in a sweet spot for us that it works well and sort of is the best of uh, choice for a few different reasons. But it it also that process of like deciding, well, we're going to try to, you know, pick one thing and kind of use it mainly uh, has been a, a really a good exercise in 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 what in, in the kind of process you have to go through in terms of what you choose to, you know, what tools you choose to work with. And it's man, if you're if it's just based on, oh, I read a bunch of articles about it and everybody seems to like this and they're all excited about this. That's like the worst reason to choose stuff. That's terrible. That's fashion driven development. And that's a, that's a really bad, bad, bad idea, because I tell you what, six months or a year, that's going to change and it's not going to be like that anymore. Well, also, some of this can also be laid at the foot of startup mentality, where the idea is that we're going to build something as quickly as possible and get it out there. And if if you never stick around on a project long enough to see it through to the maintenance and or decline of it, um, you would never develop that mindset of the stuff that I'm using. I have to be able to um, update it and extend it um, a week from now, a month from now, um, a year from now. I think that's a big issue as well. That We can't discount yep. the idea that if you've... Like if you never stick around long enough on a project to ever have to change it, then you will never ever develop the appropriate mindset of I don't want to I don't want to come back to this thing in six months and all the things that I put on there um, are just useless now. That's that's nobody wants that. Yeah, yeah, and you know maybe it's a thing with you know for younger folks that they you know they kind of haven't dealt with it as much. I'm not sure. 
maybe that's part of it too. But uh, it's interesting to see uh, uh, it, to see communities going through stuff that you know you're kind of as a wise aged veteran. Uh, you are like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen with this. When you guys start getting big and you start getting, you know, you're going to run into some shit, you know. So I think it's, uh, I just think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. I don't know. I think it's a really good project, Bluestrap View. I've used it on a couple things, and I think it's really nice. So, yeah. If anyone doesn't understand, it's, um, it's basically an implementation of the Bootstrap HTML JavaScript sort of framework it's an implementation of it in the view frame in the view JavaScript framework. So instead of writing all of your, uh, instead of writing all of your markup in divs and, and things like that, and using all the classes and stuff that, that, um, that bootstrap provides, it basically gives you these, uh, component tags and things like that, that you can just use instead and just pass in set attributes or properties in view, and uh, and then by doing that, you can you basically get to write less code and you get to, you know, use these components in a little bit of a more programmatic way. And if you like the way the view works, it's a good way of doing it. So, yeah, sweet. All right. We have three and a half minutes left. So, Uh-oh. again, keep that ship tight. So uh, quick thing, uh, we're going to introduce a, a last segment. Uh, what did you use that was what are you learning new this week? Uh what did I learn? I learned some stuff about how to publish NPM libraries and like how that, how that stuff works and how NPM can like build things or like pull things in from other stuff. I'd learned that because I had to do that with bootstrap. And then last week I did some stuff we're learning about NLP natural language processing um, and learned some stuff about that, about how like that stuff works and how they like you take text and tokenize it and, or chunk it up into, into pieces and how, how you do analyze how you analyze it with things like the NLTK natural language toolkit for Python and uh, things of that nature. So I've been doing a lot of stuff like that. So I just got back this week after being off basically for the entire month of December. I saved up my um, vacation time after the um, Mozilla all hands that was uh, at Disney world in Florida, the first week of December, I took the rest of December off. So I've just got, I'm on my second day back at work. What I am working on this week um not necessarily for work, but but a technology that I wanted to learn more about was uh, learning how to use CSS Grid um, to do layouts. Um, this is now the second time I've played around with it, and I think I finally have a mental model on um, how Grid works so that going forward when I have to change the layout, I won't be spending nearly as much time looking at uh, CSS um, Grid tutorials. So Nice. Yeah, so it's kind of it's been fun um, learning a little bit more about CSS because, again, having done... Um, server-side stuff for two decades. Never really have to worry about CSS too much. So no. uh, just a reminder for everyone listening, no more Patreon because what a goddamn waste. We might as well just pay for this shit ourselves. But what I do want to ask people to do is send us some email. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to, Ed always yells at me when I get it wrong, but it's devhell at devhell.info, no underscores or anything in there. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Send us some email. If you send us stuff, I promise we will read it on the air. We'll set aside one of our little 15-minute blocks for uh, for um, reader, re- no, not reader, listener emails, listener emails. Yes. So this has. Yes, they're listening. This is not going to be transcribed. Yes, yes yeah. it's not going to be transcribed because we don't yeah. give a shit. So, uh, although maybe sometime we could try to transcribe. That could be actually interesting. There are some free services. We should try to see how badly um, it butchers what we say to people and what we say to each other. I've, I've re- seen some. It's, they usually don't do it. Very uh, well, good job. you know, maybe one of these days uh, uh, when you and I are a little bit more independently wealthy, we will pay someone to do transcriptions of the, That'd be awesome. of the podcast for us. So, this yeah. has been episode number. 96 of the Development Hell podcast. As always, you can find us on our own website at devhell.info. Every single episode we have ever done is up there, uh, along with uh, notes and witty uh, commentary and uh, awesome images that Ed finds. Um, you can also find us if you're listening. Subscribe to uh, this on. Oh, hold on, there's a the time we're going. Stop that. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, on iTunes, yes. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please rate us um, so we can let us know how we're doing. Uh, you yeah. can you can find us on Twitter as at dev underscore hell. Shout out to the guy who is dev without the hell, who I kept accidentally tagging um, when when I got back into the pie. Good guy. I'm, and I'm, trying to log into his account. Trying to log into his account. No, no, no. I was using the proper one because you gave me the email address <laughs> that we used. Good. That 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 part was right. okay. 
So you can find us uh, on Twitter at dev underscore hell. You can find uh, uh, me as Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. As always, thanks for listening, and hopefully it will take us six months for the next episode to come out. So, later.